The debrief is a production of faculty at the National Security Affairs Department at the U.S. Naval War College. The views presented here are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions of the Department of Defense or any of its components. Welcome to The Debrief, a production of faculty members affiliated with the National Security Affairs Department at the U.S. Naval War College. I'm your co-host, Theo Milanopoulos. A strictly regional approach to organizing our thinking about the world is insufficient in addressing today's transnational threats. That's the argument put forward by Derek Reveron, Chair of the National Security Affairs Department, and Nick Vozdev, Professor of National Security Affairs and editor of the journal Orbis. In a series of essays published by the Foreign Policy Research Institute, they call for a reconceptualization of how strategists think about geography and national security. Today, we are delighted to have Derek and Nick here in our studio to help us redraw these conceptual boundaries. Derek and Nick, welcome to The Debrief. Thank you, Theo. Derek, let me start with you. Uh, you and Nick have called for a cognitive refresh of, in the way strategists think about geography and national security. Why is a new approach needed? I think in one word, seems. You know, we recognize that you know, current Department of Defense boundaries along the Unified Command Plan is very limited, you know, not only for the U.S., but we also recognize that adversaries work within the themes. And I think to paraphrase Tip O'Neill, what we're really asking for people is to, to think globally, but act locally. We're not calling for a right of the UCP. We're not calling for creating new Department of State boundaries for bureaus, but really just how to think about how the U.S. is a global actor and how the challenges that we face today are not confined to any one region at a particular time. In your essay, you argue strategists should rethink security challenges as spanning three transoceanic regions. Now, Nick, where do you draw these boundaries, and why take a transoceanic approach instead of a land-based approach? Most human beings live within an hour of an ocean. Most of the major interconnections between countries and regions occur over the maritime domain. And part of the problem with the earlier approach of focusing on the UCPs is it neglected how people in different parts of the world connect across those boundaries so that someone who is in Kenya is more likely to be connected to India and Indonesia uh, than perhaps with Nigeria or Morocco, even though they're all on the African continent. So the idea of thinking about transoceanic regions is looking at people, how they actually connect, rather than imposing a bureaucratic uh, line that may not get at the real sets of political, economic, and security issues. So the connecting frames are really transatlantic region, a trans-Indian region, and a trans-Pacific region that are reorienting the way that we're thinking about the globe. That is correct. And it also gets us to think about ways in which different parts of the world connect. So that thinking about Peru, not just simply as a Latin American country, but as a country that is part of the Pacific, that has ties with the Philippines, with China, and with Australia, allows us to see a lot more potential for advancing U.S. interests around the world. Derek, can you provide us with another illustration of how this uh, transoceanic approach can help us rethink the way that uh, traditional regional boundaries might miss opportunities or risks that are happening under their current jurisdiction? Yeah, so, I mean, two things come to mind. So first, uh, drug trafficking from the Western Hemisphere to Europe. The drugs are cocaine, for example, is produced in um, uh, Latin America. 
transits across the Atlantic to West Africa, moves up to Europe either by sea or over land. Um, and, and in that case, if we're using the DOD boundaries, the problem begins in Southcom, soon becomes a problem in AFRICOM, and then it becomes a destination problem within UCOM. Now, we could also take the case of Russia. Uh, and in the case of Russia, so obviously UCOM is focused on Russia. But when Russia deployed forces to Syria, um, that was in the CENTCOM AOR. And then we look at Russian support of private military contractors in West Africa, AFRICOM again. And what we're trying to do is call for people to think about, right, the challenge is really Russian foreign policy and Russian military activities, which are not confined to a single region that the U.S. finds comfortable. And this idea is not new. Uh, when he was chairman, uh, General Dunford called for uh, global integration. And so what we're really doing is picking up the baton and really trying to think through what does global integration look like. It's not that the combatant command boundaries disappear, but combatant commands, country teams uh, at embassies need to be more aware of how their issue is probably not their issue alone and to reach out horizontally across the U.S. government and then with partners and allies to address these challenges. So, so, Nick, just in the way that Derek was framing this challenge to the way we think about these existing bureaucratic boundaries within the Department of Defense, you've both stopped short of calling for an overhaul of those boundaries uh, along this transoceanic blueprint. Why not do a structural revamp uh, along these transoceanic lines? And can this existing structure really accommodate the perspective that you're bringing? Uh, we need to avoid jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And as Derek opened with, the question is, so much gets lost in the seams. So simply creating new structures uh, runs the risk of creating new seams uh, among the three transoceanic regions. And so instead, we, I think, agree with where the new joint uh, concept for competition is calling us to think, which is we have established combatant commands and bureaus at the State Department, which do have responsibility for discrete parts of the globe. We have the functional commands and the functional bureaus at the State Department, which think about integrating issues. And the transoceanic concept allows you to bring those two together, really so that you don't lose issues in the handoff. Because I think when you look at many of the setbacks that have faced U.S. national security, in the past 20 years. It's not due to a lack of imagination or a lack of awareness. It was due to a question of who had jurisdiction, who had responsibility. And I think what we can do is we can take the transoceanic format and we can use it as a basis to create uh, overarching frameworks that bring together different parts of the U.S. national security establishment. Uh, we've seen this in the National Security Council with essentially the creation of an overarching Pacific Super Directorate. Uh, we're seeing it with the Biden's administration's announcement of the Atlantic Pact, uh, which reconceives of the Atlantic area, North and South Atlantic, uh, combining NORTHCOM, UCOM, AFRICOM, and SOUTHCOM, and creating a framework which will force that integration together, will force that communication. And what we do, what we will hope from that is that we will get better national security outcomes. Now, Derek, one of the boundaries that you've talked about breaking down as well is another conceptual one, which is the one that separates the study of international affairs from the study of the domestic political system that generates foreign policy decisions. 
Why is it important for national security professionals to understand both sides of that coin? Yeah, without getting into like the, the boring disciplinary boundaries within political science, um, which really create these differences. And, and the old adage is, right, um, uh, politics stops at the water's edge. Um, first, that's not true. Um, you know, second, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, this administration and the previous one talk about building a foreign policy for the middle class um, and connecting domestic politics and foreign policy. Uh, our goal, uh, you know, across the college is to make people to or help people to become better strategic thinkers. And we have a, a basic way to do that. Understand the national interests, understand the challenges to those interests, and then develop options to think through how do we achieve those interests. Um, that's a good basic understanding. What that leaves out is, is I think, a, a more comprehensive view of how foreign policy is actually made. And so there's a classic understanding that we'll discuss in the course, um, you know, three basic levels to understanding policy. You know, the first is sort of the nation state level, the country, the United States does something. Um, that's great and usually useful for many ways to approach a problem. And, and certainly that's where interests are grounded, is thinking about the country. But it ignores two important other levels. And so that first level is really below the state level, looking at three branches of government, how the executive interacts with the legislative, and whether it's all legal as determined by the court system, but then also within the executive branch. S military services have different authorities, time horizons, and goals than combatant commands. The services compete with each other on how to frame issues and how to address problems. The combatant commands compete with each other for resources. The similar things are happening across the U.S. government. Um, and then the final level is the individuals. Um, we, we can't, you know, at an institution that's dedicated to educating leaders, we have to really focus on individuals. They're bringing their own cognitive perspective, their own history, their own experiences to real problems. And so as we start thinking about how to do this in a way, you have to look at two sides of national security where the ideas come from, where they're implemented from, you know, that is individuals and the organizations inside the U.S. government, and the role the U.S. plays in the world. So Derek's made his pitch. Nick, what would you still say to somebody who's heard uh, uh, that uh, eloquent way of, of talking about this issue uh, and yet is still skeptical about the need to study how the domestic political system interacts to produce the kinds of policies and strategies that are being implemented uh, that, that complements what you might encounter in a more traditional international security uh, course. Well, as Bismarck said, politics is the art of the possible. It's no good to have a conceptually beautiful strategic plan that has no chance of being implemented, either because what it proposes is against the law, uh, goes against uh, major interest groups, doesn't have domestic backing. Um, we Again, our goal in the end is to produce good outcomes for U.S. national security, and that means understanding, not ignoring the domestic political process. Well, we here at the National Security Affairs Department are all about breaking down barriers, uh, both for understanding and for uh, rethinking the world. So thank you both for being here uh, uh, today, uh, and we will see you next time on The Debrief.